Hey everybody, got some awesome news. We have a new crew member today, Denise. Hi everyone. So I thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said our name and a little something about ourselves. I'll start. My name is Rod, and I like to party. All right, Dave, you're up. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Dave, and uh, I like to party. Uh, no, Dave, I just said that I party, so maybe do something different for me. My name is Dave, and I am the stuntman. You know what? Let's move on. Rico, you're up. Uh, hello. I'm Rico, and I like to party. Yeah. Uh, Rico, what did I just say to Dave? Who? Dave. I like to party. I'm Rod. No, you're Kevin. Right. Kevin. I party. No. No, you don't. Okay, nobody parties but me. Yes. And we party. No. Yeah, just Rod. Yes. And me. No. I'm the only one who parties. I'm pretty sure I've partied before. No, Kevin, I know for a fact you don't party, okay? You do not party. You're right. Dave's the party guy. <laughs> Sweet. Oh my god, shut up, okay? I'm just gonna do it for you. Denise, this is the crew. Dave's the mechanic, Rico makes the ramps, and Kevin is team manager slash videographer. None of them party, right? Got it? Okay. Let's party. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 202, Hot Rod and Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi and welcome to you all, whether you are a returning listener, whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, and no matter how you found this podcast, I'm so grateful to have you here for the history and legacy of two movies today. I know. Hot Rod and Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. So this is a rare joint episode. And normally these episodes I call Nanorama episodes. And what they are is usually they're related to each other. So there's a sequel to each other or a prequel or some duology of movies that are related to each other in some way. But these aren't really related to each other because they're not connected in any way other than they both involve the Lonely Island. And they're also box office disappointments that became cult classics. And originally I wanted to do an episode on Popstar. And then I thought, but I also want to do an episode on Hot Rod as well. So why not do both? Because it's my podcast. I can do both. It's cool beans. So this episode is going to be a little more condensed than usual because I've got to fit in the history and legacy of two separate movies. But... You know, the last couple of episodes, they have been standard full episodes. Episode 200 of The Wizard of Oz. Episode 201 on Reign of Fire. And really, wow, because you folk listening, you really love those movies fairly equally. Which is bizarre when one is an 84-year-old classic of cinema and the other is about apocalyptic dragons. But I'm so grateful for the love for both of those episodes. And I hope that this episode will be 
just as well received. And we're going to get straight in and we're going to start with the history and legacy of Hot Rod. And here's the trailer. What's up, little riders? Jump in the public pool tomorrow. Tell your friends. That's just a sample. Good luck. Don't worry, Denise. I've done this before. So what are you supposed to be? A stuntman. Wow. My safe word will be whiskey. Do you mean whiskey? What? I just don't get why you're saying it that way. Why I'm saying what, what way? Forget it. I will. I will forget it. Whoa, whiskey! Whiskey! Oh. Hey, everybody. We have a new crew member today, Denise. So I thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said a little something about ourselves. I like to party. I like to party. No, Dave, I just said that I party. I like to party. No. I like to party. Okay, nobody parties but me. Yeah, just Rod. Yes. And me. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, my God. Shut up. Hey, Rod, maybe you shouldn't fight Dad this week. Relax, Kev. I'm going to win this time. I did, like, 40 crunches yesterday. Get ready to meet your maker. Oh, God! We hadn't even started yet! I just had a great idea. One big jump, gentlemen. The biggest jump this town's ever seen. Let's party. If I'm gonna jump 15 buses, my body's gonna have to be in top physical form. Did we reinforce the takeoff ramp? No, we didn't have time. Cool. Oh! I've already drafted a rough schedule of exercises that will help us take things to the next level. Oh! Now! No, 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 not now! Right now! You're a terrible stuntman. What? You're a terrible stuntman! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can hear you. It was just really mean. From Paramount Pictures. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a jump for the ages. The moment we've all been waiting for. He's going in circles! Andy Samberg. Who wants to see me do a big stuff? Hot Rod. All great men have mustaches. Yeah, but real men actually grow them, huh? You know I have a hormone disorder! Ooh. Rod Kimball is a lovable loser who is, without a doubt, the world's worst stuntman and probably the only one that performs on a moped. His group of loyal friends serve as his crew and girl next door Denise seems impressed by his hijinks. When Rod's mean stepfather's life is dependent on an expensive transplant, Rod wants to perform the ultimate stunt to raise the money to save his life just so he can have yet another chance to kick his stepfather's ass in a fight and earn his respect. So with the help of his crew, the love of his life and many other people along the way, Rod sets out to jump more buses than Evil Knievel and raise the conveniently priced $50,000 to save his stepfather's life. And the cast of this movie, we have Andy Samberg as Rod Kimball, Jorma Taccone as Kevin Powell, Bill Hader as Dave McLean, Danny McBride as Rico Brown, Isla Fisher as Denise Harris, Sissy Spacek as Marie Powell, Ian McShane as Frank Powell, Will Arnett as Jonathan Alt, Chris Parnell as Barry Pasternak, and Chester Tam as Richardson. And there was a really cool cameo in this movie from Queens of the Stone Age as the rock band Gown. And eagerly-eared listeners of this podcast may know the name Pam Brady from previous episodes because she's most probably well-known for her collaborations with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. She co-wrote both Team America World Police, that's episode 158, and South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut, that's episode 189. 
Add while she retains a full and sole writing credit for Hot Rod. Once it became a vehicle for the Lonely Island, it was rewritten by Andy Samberg, Jorma Taccone and Akiva Schaefer. But this original version by Pam Brady was intended as a cinematic vehicle for another Saturday Night Live alumni, Will Ferrell. Because it's easy to forget that Will Ferrell hasn't always been a movie star. He joined SNL from The Groundlings, the same improvisational and sketch comedy troupe as school based in Los Angeles that originally inspired Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. That's episode 124. From 1995 to 2002, Ferrell was a main cast member on SNL and just like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey in the episode on Wayne's World, that's episode 199, his popularity suggested he could front a comedy movie. This version of Hot Mod, though, languished in development hell for several years. Ferrell would have small parts in comedies during his SNL tenure, like the Austin Powers films and Zoolander, before leaving SNL in 2002 and making some pretty huge comedies like Old School, Elf, and Anchorman, that's episode 125. I'm probably going to reference loads of other podcast episodes in this one, by the way. Following Ferrell's departure from SNL, Fresh Meat was brought into the fold in 2005 when The Lonely Island debuted on the programme. The trio Andy Samberg, Jorma Taccone and Akiba Schaefer met at Willard Junior High in Berkeley, California and would attend Berkeley High before going their separate ways to college. In September 2000, the group moved to Los Angeles and created short films that they'd host on their website. Their modest apartment in LA, which was shared with fellow Hot Rod castmate Chester Tam and writer-director musician Matt Bettinelli-Olpin, was nicknamed The Lonely Island, and this became the name of their collective trio. Their comedy musical format worked in the fledgling internet, and videos started going viral. They worked on a pilot episode for a TV show called The Lonely Island, and it was this that enabled them to get agents. The trio worked at Fox Television as production assistants for Spin City and produced a second pilot for The Lonely Island, which premiered on the Comedy Central stage in Los Angeles. This led to Comedy Central buying the series, but it did not take it forward. They then got involved with Super Midnight Movie Club, which evolved into Channel 101, a non-profit which hosted monthly short film festivals. Their first submission ended after two episodes, but their second, The Boo!, a play on Fox's The O.C., ran for eight episodes and became a huge success. This would lead them to a meeting with Fox's then-president, Gail Berman, and signed a deal with the studio. Their increasing profiles in comedy circles led to them writing for the 2005 MTV Movie Awards, hosted by SNL cast member Jimmy Fallon. It was Fallon's praise and the positive word of mouth about The Lonely Island which led to them auditioning for Saturday Night Live in mid-2005 and joining in August with Samberg as a featured player and Tacconi and Schaefer as writers. Joining in the same season was Hot Rod castmate Bill Hader. Their sketch Lazy Sunday became a huge hit, receiving millions of views online, and this was when YouTube was a fairly new site. The SNL digital short was born. Things didn't really go viral, but Lazy Sunday inspired a t-shirt line. It even enticed Natalie Portman to do a video with them, Natalie's rap, the trio didn't have expensive studios, equipment, or professional audio engineers. They were still doing everything themselves. And Lorne Michaels, remember him from the Wayne's World episode? Yet again, he saw the potential of a Saturday Night Live cast member. And while he didn't really get the pitches that Sandberg, Tacconi, and Schaefer would pitch to him, he would still contact Paramount about the unreleased Hot Rod script. Michaels convinced Paramount to let The Lonely Island star in the film as well as direct it. Michael saw the trio as the new stars of comedy and appealing to the new generation with irreverent pop culture-based music and comedy. 
Originally, when they got the script for Hot Rod, the trio weren't convinced that as it was, it was the debut of their dreams, mostly because it had been written for Will Ferrell, and they didn't feel like it was their particular brand of humour. Paramount authorised a rewrite by Sandberg, Tacconi and Schaefer to bring it into their level of absurdist, offbeat humour, while also acquiescing to Paramount's ideas for accessibility. They didn't want it to be too obscene, for example. No, gentlemen's areas in boxes, nor fornication with your best friend's mothers. Not even the word semen could be used in the finished film. It's replaced with residue. So the comedy clearly designed for Will Ferrell was replaced with offbeat, bizarre humour and physical comedy. The process was the trio sitting in a room trying to make each other laugh. Even Seth Meyers was part of the writing process. They used Lorne Michaels' office at Paramount Lot for the rewrites, which included the punch dancing footloose homage, with the longest fall downhill imaginable, which is my favourite scene in the entire movie, by the way. Of course, when it came to casting, they got in touch with their SNL castmate, Bill Hader. Hader told them a story about the time he had taken his friend to the hospital after he ended up with a piece of metal stuck near his eye. The same story ended up in the movie with Hader as the friend. A couple of years before, Isla Fisher had a small but standout role in the Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn comedy Wedding Crashers, and so she was a coup for the role of Rod's sweet neighbour, Denise. Danny McBride was an up-and-coming actor thanks to his movie The Foot Fist Way, which was a DVD passed around via word of mouth because it didn't have a distribution deal. McBride would insist that the drink of Hot Rod be Jaeger bombs. And if you've ever had a Jaeger bomb, you'll know they're disgusting. And if you've not, don't try Jaeger bombs. They're disgusting. And of course, the piece de resistance was the casting of the great Ian McShane as Frank and Sissy Spacek as Marie. The trio never thought in a million years they'd get someone as revered as Sissy Spacek. Lorne Michaels would call Spacek and she would agree to star in the movie and be one of very few people in the cast playing it completely straight, which was a masterclass and is why you hire Sissy Spacek. The majority of Hot Rod was shot in Vancouver in the summer of 2006, southeast of Vancouver at Cloverdale, British Columbia and beneath the Surrey end of the Petulo Bridge. Burnaby, North Vancouver... Coquitlam and downtown Vancouver were also used for filming. Sandberg used a stunt double, but he also did perform as many of his own stunts as he was permitted. This was despite a stunt double breaking his leg during the opening truck jump. You think the guy lands funny? And that's because he does. It's not a dummy. It's a real human being. And he really did break bones. And in the aforementioned scene where Rod is constantly falling down a hill, they are also stuntmen. They are not dummies, they are constantly falling down the hill. One of the most remarkable things about Hot Rod is that the Lonely Island really are all over this movie, despite it not being an original idea by them. The Cool Beans scene, which was originally just going to be Rod and Kevin making up after an argument by saying Cool Beans to each other, didn't seem to work in the final edit. So in true Lonely Island tradition, why don't they make it into a song? And so the Cool Beans song was made in the edit of all the various ways both Sandberg and Tacconi said Cool Beans during filming. And it works, it's obscure, and it's weird, but it works. When it came to test screening the movie, there were things that they were concerned wouldn't work. Some of them did ultimately get removed, but one that stayed in was Ebenezer Scrooge offering a cooked goose for everyone. Why Ebenezer Scrooge? Why not Ebenezer Scrooge? Paramount didn't like it, they didn't think it was funny but the Lonely Island fought for its irreverent ridiculousness. And on its release, Hot Rod did get some critical positivity from an unlikely source, and that source was Roger Ebert. He gave the movie three stars, admiring it for its sincerity and hilarity, but when it did come out on the 3rd of August 2007, 
it was up against some serious competition. On the same week were the Bourne Alternatum and Underdog. Bourne flew to number one that week, with Underdog coming in at three. The Simpsons movie was at number two in its second week. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix was in its fifth week, sitting at five. Transformers was in its sixth week, sitting at seventh. And Hot Rod really struggled against all of this competition, landing in at eighth in its debut week. By its second week, it dropped to 14th, and that was the week Stardust came out. That's also an episode of this podcast, by the way. Also, Rush Hour 3 came out that week too. Then in the third week, Superbad came out and decimated all of its competition. The trio were friends with Michael Serra, and originally they were happy for their friend's huge movie, but also their movie really didn't do very well, but ultimately they were as positive as they could be about it. Tacconi wanted to take out a double-page ad in The Hollywood Reporter announcing Hot Rod had made $714 in France and Liberia combined. The totals weren't looking great. On a $25 million budget, Hot Rod made $13.9 million domestically in the US and $415,000 internationally for a total worldwide gross of $14.4 million. But it's not all doom and gloom. Despite Hot Rod failing to pull off the ultimate Evil Knievel-style jump across the box office chasm, it was released on home video, where it was too legit to quit. The DV would earn just over $25 million in sales. Then it was released on cable television and its audience just grew from there. It went on to Comedy Central, ironic considering the channel had passed on the Lonely Island some years earlier. And then Hot Rod appeared on Netflix. The reputation of the film just grew. And eventually, 10 years after its initial release, it finally started to find its audience. Lorne Michaels, the unsung hero for both Wayne's World and this movie, went to bat for Hot Rod, predicting it would find an audience in the future. Quote, I've lived through everything from Wayne's World with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, to Tommy Boy with Chris Farley, all the things I did with Will Ferrell, and even the three amigos. Critics just don't like new comedians, and they certainly don't like them if they come from SNL or television. Later on, they revise their opinions and say that so-and-so's later films aren't as good as the first ones. I think the picture will be thought of differently in two years, unquote. And I guess in Lorne Michaels we trust because ultimately he wasn't wrong about Hot Rod. And the story transitions now as this episode transitions into Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. And here's the trailer. Okay, where to start? Ever since I was born, I loved music. As soon as I could, I started a band. Right away, we knew he was something special. Gosh. Immediately, I said, man, this guy right here, he's going to make it big. Connor for real is actually saving the record industry. Everybody's just waiting to see, like, what he does next. Connor's hot. You tell me you didn't see him and say, yo, he's the star. It's Connor. currently has 32 people on his personal payroll. Sure, Connor surrounds himself with people who are agreeable. We're like McCartney and Kanye. And yeah, I was, yeah. All my woodwork, it's kind of my passion. This one's a mask, still me. I'd love to get Connor to the point where he's just kind of everywhere, like oxygen or gravity or clinical depression. He's just... 
everywhere. I make sure all the instruments are tip-top. No one really plays guitar, but we got him here in case he wants one. Deborah's a genius. <laughs> it's pronounced Deborah. What's the origin of that? I believe Deborah. It's not a competition, but I'm winning. You won't give me a because I'm so... In a way, being gracious is my weakness. People say I'm so unpretentious for a genius. You know, it takes a village to make me look dope. Once a member of the popular rap trio The Style Boys, Connor Freel is now solo artist Connor For Real and is about to drop his difficult second album, Conquest. Unfortunately, the record gets abysmal reviews and his career begins to melt down when his attempts at rehabilitating his image lead to such disasters as a global blackout and a proposal to his girlfriend interrupted by a wolf attack, which singer Seal sues him for. When his tour support at Hunter the Hungry starts to eclipse him and arranges an embarrassing wardrobe malfunction for Connor on stage, he reaches rock bottom. Eventually, Connor considers burying the hatchet with former colleagues Owen and Lawrence in order to reunite the Style Boys. And let's run through the cast. We have again Andy Samberg as Connor Friel, Jorma Taccone as Owen Bouchard, Kiva Schaefer as Lawrence Dunn, Sarah Silverman as Paula Klein, Tim Meadows as Harry Duggins, Maya Rudolph as Deborah, Joan Cusack as Tilly Friel, Imogen Poots as Ashley Wednesday, Chris Redd as Hunter the Hungry, Edgar Blackmon as Eddie, and James Buckley as Sponge. With cameos from Bill Hader as Zippy, Danny Strong as the Perspective Manipulator, Justin Timberlake as Tyrus Quash, Will Arnett, Eric Andre, Mike Vermiglia, and Chelsea Peretti as CMZ reporters, Emma Stone as Claudia Cantrell, Weird Al Yankovic as the lead singer of Hammerleg, and as themselves, Akon, ASAP Rocky, Michael Bolton, Mariah Carey, Simon Cowell, Miley Cyrus, DJ Khaled, Jimmy Fallon, 50 Cent, Adam Levine, Naz, Pink, Katy Perry, Rihanna, Seal, Snoop Dogg, Ringo Starr, T.I., Carrie Underwood, Usher, Pharrell Williams, and many, many more. Too many to list. Pop star Never Stop Never Stopping was written by Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Taccone and was directed by Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Taccone. And unlike Hot Rod, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping was created from scratch by The Lonely Island. And like the mockumentary classic it was immediately compared to, Rob Reiner's This Is Spinal Tap, and just like Hot Rod, Pop Star also never got the recognition it deserved on its initial release. But also, just like This Is Spinal Tap and Hot Rod, Pop Star was embraced on home video, eventually becoming a cult classic. Mockumentaries are notoriously difficult to get right, for every What We Do in the Shadows, there's a confetti. And confetti is so notoriously bad that even genuine British acting legend Olivia Coleman hated the experience of making it. Drop Dead Gorgeous is a terrific mockumentary of beauty pageants in the US. Best in Show is another great one by Christopher Guest. But generally, mockumentaries are very, very difficult to quite get the tone. But this one achieves in spades. After Hot Rod, The Lonely Island continued with their viral success, releasing several albums and premiering them as SNL digital shorts, frequently collaborating with Justin Timberlake on songs I really can't mention the titles of, including Gentleman's Private Area in a Box, which won a Creative Arts Emmy for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics, 
Their collaboration with T-Pain, I'm on a boat, went double platinum and earned a Grammy Award nomination. The album Incredibad became the eighth biggest selling hip-hop album in 2009. Turtleneck and Shane was also nominated for the Grammy for Best Comedy Album, included collaborations with Rihanna, Akon, Nicki Minaj and Michael Bolton. 2013's The Whack Album followed with more collaborations, this time with Lady Gaga, Adam Levine, Kendrick Lamar, Pharrell Williams, Robin and Solange. The trio went on to write segments for the satirical sex comedy Extreme Movie in 2008. Akiva Schaefer went on to direct The Watch in 2012. Jorma Taccone would write and direct Magruba in 2010. And Andy Samberg would go on to star in I Love You Man, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, that's episode 139, Friends with Benefits, and That's My Boy as the son of Adam Sandler's character. In 2013, he started starring in his biggest TV hit, the excellent Brooklyn Nine-Nine. The Nine-Nine would continue to 2021. The Lonely Island would also co-write the, the incredibly catchy theme song for the Lego movie in 2014. They'd also appear on the song as well. That's episode 31 of this podcast, by the way. Everything is Awesome would be nominated for Best Original Song at the 87th Academy Awards and a Grammy Award for Best Song Written for Visual Media. So really, their careers were going from strength to strength. And it was only a matter of time before another movie project was announced. And when it was announced in May 2015, it was announced as Top Secret Untitled Lonely Island Movie, but it had actually been in the pipeline since 2012 because while guest editing Vanity Fair's 2012 comedy issue, Judd Apatow called on his favourite comedians for the issue, three of which were The Lonely Island. And Apatow had a message for them specifically. He wanted them to make another movie and he wanted to produce it. At the time, the trio had two ideas for a potential movie. One remains unknown, mostly because they've said they might make it one day and it's a great idea and they don't want anyone to steal it. The other was a mockumentary about a pop star. Judd Apatow was sold, and Apatow's involvement and influence came when he encouraged the trio to make the film fundamentally about their relationship with each other as friends and colleagues. The Style Boys came out as the trio, with Connor being the modern equivalent of the solo star. Think the Drake, the Justin Bieber. The only real boy band at the time in real life was One Direction, so maybe Connor is the Harry Styles. The idea developed from being mostly about Connor and his solo music career to being more about the rest of the Style Boys. And I'm going to come to exactly how much they shot for this movie, but as the edit was coming along and they were previewing scenes to test audiences, the stuff that got the most reaction was the stuff with all of the Style Boys together, rather than just Connor. There's something grounding, the silliness and absurdity, the portrayal of how isolating life can be for celebrities who got their start at a very young age and how quickly and easily they can slide into a different version of their life when surrounded by sycophants and money. And music documentaries, they are not a rarity. In fact, anyone who's anyone in the industry makes at least one of them. I recently saw Jennifer Lopez's Halftime on Netflix. Taylor Swift obviously brought out Miss Americana in 2020. Beyonce had Homecoming in 2019. Katy Perry's Part of Me came out in 2012 and famously showed her split from then-husband Russell Brand. But Popstar does take some of its parody cues from Justin Bieber's Never Say Never documentary in 2011. Never Say Never was a box office success and it even had a sequel in 2013. Andy Samberg would deny the movie was directed purely at Bieber and it is an affectionate parody of the industry in general, but ended up referencing a few things from Never Say Never, including a scene at the Anne Frank house and both Justin and Connor having an exotic pet. 
Nevertheless, the Universal Marketing Team really leaned into the Bieber of it all. Even the title, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which the Lonely Island did agree to use, but it wasn't their choice of title. The working title was Connor for Real, and they were under the impression it was going to be released as Connor for Real. The character's name being Connor Freel, Connor for Real, it's just great. Chef's kiss, perfection, love it. I'm going to come back to the marketing a bit later, though, because the difficult second album is a thing in the music industry. Many a successful artist has committed career suicide with their sophomoric attempt. Music documentaries tend to focus on the life behind the scenes, the work that goes into maintaining a pop star's image, the trappings of success, and is almost always made with the fans in mind. And they always contain two things, clips of the artist performing their most famous songs in concert and sound bites from fellow artists normally praising how great that artist is. Had Popstar not had either of these things, it wouldn't have felt half as genuine. If you're going to make a mockumentary about a pop star, you need pop songs. And luckily, The Lonely Island and their writing team, which included nine Grammy Award-winning songwriter Kirsten, he famously co-wrote, produced and performed on Adele's record-breaking single Hello, by the way, which won three of those Grammys. They just knew how to write bops. From the humbling down-to-earth opening credits track, I'm So Humble, featuring a hologram of Adam Levine, to Equal Rights, featuring Pink, Connor's song Bad Acceptance, while constantly assuring us that he's completely straight, not gay, sleeps with women, not gay, and listens to Lynyrd Skynyrd, not gay, through to my personal favourite, Finest Girl. And this is a family-friendly podcast, but it involves the US government's capture of Osama Bin Laden in the most erotic way possible. It lives rent-free in my head. I'm a huge fan of that track. It was always the intention to make a movie and a brand new album for The Lonely Island at the same time. And to make it brief, they planned on a sub-90-minute movie from the outset. There's about an hour's worth of deleted scenes that appear on the DVD and the Blu-ray, but over 400 hours of footage was recorded, which is an incredible feat. Not only for a small-budget comedy, but also a small-budget comedy where the vast majority of the work was being achieved by three people. The movie had a script, but it also relied on a lot of improv. So much great stuff had to be cut, including a much darker downfall for Connor, reportedly an hour's worth of borderline depressing stuff. There were 105 versions of the first act alone. Even Phil Lord and Christopher Miller got involved to offer advice on different versions of the first act. When it came to casting, they knew they wanted Bill Hader basically to reprise his role from Hot Rod, but under a different name. They knew they wanted Tim Meadows, be big fans of Ladies Man. Meadows also would star in Walk Hard, the Jimmy Cox story, also about a fictional singer. Mostly, though, they didn't have anyone in mind in particular. It just happened upon the likes of Maya Rudolph. I figured Sarah Silverman would be game because Sarah Silverman tends to always be quite game. And it required a lot of people to be game. It speaks to the respect the Lonely Island have in the industry to get the people they got. But probably having Judd Apatow as producer helped. This is a movie that shows its sincere sweetness alongside random silliness, such as Connor and Harry having a sincere moment, them asking the filmmakers to switch off the cameras only for Connor to get attacked by giant bees, and then to ask if the cameras have caught any of it. This movie wouldn't work without its sincerity. When you have talking heads of people like Mariah Carey, Pharrell Williams and Usher talking about their love and respect for the Style Boys and Connor for real, it had to sound genuine. It can't be tongue-in-cheek, and they looked out not only with the calibre of cameos, but how great they genuinely are. Mariah Carey, often dismissed as just being a diva, was genuinely sweet and funny and willing to say whatever they wanted her to. She had the same manager as T.I., who the Lonely Island were talking to, 
So they got her through TI. DJ Khaled was similarly game and put everything in his own very specific words. They were unsure if they could get Seal. They didn't know if he would get the humour. But Andy Sandberg called Seal, as you do. And surprisingly, Seal agreed to do it and wanted to send himself up a bit. The idea to have Seal attacked by the wolves and the fact Seal was up for it adds to the weirdness but also gives the movie extra credence. Justin Timberlake was busy because he's Justin Timberlake, but obviously he'd worked with them a few times before, so they made it work. Jorma Taconic joked that, quote, he knows that no matter what, he's kind of trapped because the people that go to see the movie are going to, hoping he's in it, and disappointed if he's not, so he's kind of trapped, unquote. And this movie's biggest cameo, they got a beetle in this movie. Ringo Starr got a text from Judd Apatow, and clearly when a beetle gets a text from Judd Apatow, they just say yes. Each talking head was sat with and interviewed for 45 minutes or so. Many of the conversations were genuinely about Beastie Boys. Normal documentaries take a year to edit, but this wasn't a normal documentary. It was a mockumentary with a small budget. But a hundred hours of interviews later, filmed with a three-camera setup, meant they had to get creative with the edits. Production assistants transcribed all the cameos so that sound bites could be easily found in a Word document and added to the movie in the right place that made sense in the final cut. Bear in mind as well, this movie has a normal comedy post-production timescale too, which makes Popstar an even more incredible feat. Add in the cinematography from Brandon Trost and the perfect transitions between big musical performances, which they borrowed arena shots from One Direction's documentary, and the rest they shot in the Forum in LA and Long Beach Arena with multiple extras and a bit of camera trickery to make it look like there were thousands of fans, and the segues between those and the dialogue scenes. Trost also worked with Tacconi on MacGruber and That's My Boy, the Adam Sandler movie that co-starred Andy Samberg. Since then, he's gone on to work as a cinematographer on The Disaster Artist, which is episode 101 of this podcast, alongside The Room, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, amongst many others. And speaking of incredible, the finale with Connor reuniting on stage with the Style Boys and Michael Bolton to sing Incredible Thoughts, was originally intended to be just a song for Connor. But as the movie was changing and evolving, songs were moving, being rewritten, sometimes removed entirely, like the song Mona Lisa, which ends up with just a small clip. Incredible Thoughts was Connor singing about how genius he is, and it was repurposed as the finale song. Frustratingly, though, when it came to the release and the marketing of this movie, it was sold very much on the back of the popularity of Justin Bieber, and namely that it was a parody of him and his career. It's something that the Lonely Island disagreed with, and while they are gracious and appreciative that the movie was made at all, they didn't like the marketing department's tact. It unfortunately led to a disappointing box office result, despite great reviews from critics. And when it was released wide on the 3rd of June 2016, it opened 9th at the US box office the same week as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows and Me Before You. Even The Jungle Book, which had been out eight weeks at that point, did better that week than pop star Never Stop Never Stopping. It was a real disappointment for the team who ultimately felt like the public had been sold a very different movie to the one that they made. Pop star Never Stop Never Stopping would only make $9.6 million domestically in the US on its $20 million budget, and it was only ever released internationally here in the UK, making an additional $40,904, meaning the worldwide gross sat at $9.7 million. However, just like Hot Rod, Popstar was destined for cult stardom. Within months, articles with titles such as Popstar deserves to be Spinal Tap like cult classic, 
began appearing online. The film was number two on Inverse.com's list of six of the best 2016 movies you didn't see. In 2019, the Alano Drafthouse gave pop star the sing-along screening treatment, just like The Sound of Music. The Lonely Island would go on to make another movie of sorts in 2020's Palm Springs, starring Sandberg alongside Christine Milioti and J.K. Simmons, directed by Max Barbacow in his directorial debut, based on his story co-written by Andy Ciara. It would end up being produced by The Lonely Island. Akiva Schaefer would direct the similarly terrific Chippendale Rescue Rangers in 2022, again starring Sandberg. As for more from Connor, Owen and Lawrence, never say never, sorry Justin. Their experience with the studio and with Apatow means they would do it all again in a heartbeat, but maybe have a bit more say on the marketing next time. In 2022, Akiva Schaefer announced that a sequel to the film is not in the works, but is not off the table. Let's get our donkey rolls ready, just in case. Now, I don't usually do listener comments on these nanoramas, but I simply had to hear the incredible thoughts on Patreon and across social media for these two movies. So I'm going to run through these as quickly as I possibly can. We're going to start with the patrons and we're going to start with Nicholas. And his comment is mainly about Popstar. And he says, They killed it like we killed Bin Laden. One of my favourite soundtracks of all time. The film is almost as good as the soundtrack with loads of great cameos. Dare I say the 21st century's This Is Spinal Tap. We have perennial commenter Andy, who's returned, and he says, While it's been ages since I watched Hot Rod, pop star Never Stop Never Stopping has entered that realm of movies, along with Casino Royale and Deadpool, that I will stop what I'm doing if I come across it on the telly. A perfect summation of the talentless pop star, who relies on past success and personality to carry his way through his middling career, this Lonely Island project finally allows them to provide their ingenious songwriting to provide some of their wittiest songs yet. This film slays all of the hornets with a flamethrower, even if the camera was shut off. Also, as a fan, check out Seven Days of Hell and Tour de Pharmacy for more Sandberg mockumentaries. Final patron comment from Brett, who says, Hot Rod is one of the funniest movies I've seen in my life. It's the definition of cool beans. Pop star is one I still have yet to see, but that'll soon change because Andy Sandberg never fails to put a smile on my face. And I'm going to pop some information in the show notes for both Andy and Brett's podcasts as well moving over to twitter we have at social loaf 85 who said hot rod's best moments were the luge scene and ida fisher being a babe at opinion and scholar she says i said i'll never stop never stopping in my wedding vows because i love pop star at x radio x1 said obvious formula slash plot but i still found them both very funny at Recall 80s 90s said, Hot Rod is amazing, highly underrated. At Jonathan Blade said, Popstar is great, a Christopher Guest level mockumentary, the funniest Chris Red has ever been. At IO Psychology said, Hot Rod is a lot of fun. At Handle Ticket said, Big fan of The Lonely Island, they're both great, but Hot Rod is my favourite. I hope they get to make more together. At Giggle Mugs Pod said, Hot Rod equals greatest movie ever made. Pop star equals very funny movie. At Phil the Bear said, Both are utterly genius comedies that warrant multiple rewatches, as you will continually see and hear more gags. My favourite is Pop Star, though, as it absolutely skewers the industry and is littered with hilarious songs that you can listen to outside of the film. At the HS Abyss said, First time I watched Hot Rod, I didn't get it, but I was stupid and hadn't realised just yet how great the Lonely Island were. Pop Star is slightly better at a cracking parody. 
At Movies Miss Pod said, Hot Rod and Never Stop Never Stopping are full of genuine laughs throughout. At Capes on the Couch said, Both hilarious movies, Hot Rod is more gut-busting, while Popstar is more of a wow, that's so on point funny. At So Wizard Podcast said, Hot Rod is a 5 out of 5 movie, absolutely hilarious. Loved Popstar too, but Hot Rod was slightly funnier and had a lot of Europe on the soundtrack. At Stacey's Parlour said, Hot Rod is one of my go-to cheer-up Stace movies. Genuinely laugh out loud funny throughout. I absolutely love it. At Needed Road said, Popstar is so massively underrated and loaded with talent. Bill Hader cameos as the roadie. At Diabolical Pod said, Love both, but Palm Springs is my favourite Lonely Island. At Neil Burt said, Popstar should be our generation's spinal tap. The whole soundtrack could have been nominated for a Best Song Oscar, but the cowards didn't even nom one. Moving over to Instagram, at SP underscore film viewers said, Haven't seen Popstar yet, but checked out Hot Rod after recently finishing Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but the comedy in this didn't do anything for me, sadly. And our friendly spa pod said, While I have yet to see Popstar, I have seen Hot Rod well over a dozen times. It just never gets old to me. Every scene is just so well crafted for my sense of humour and it introduced me to Bill Hader and Danny McBride. I'm so freaking pumped I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day. And thank you to you all for your incredible thoughts on Hot Rod and Popstar. And what are my thoughts? Listen, I'm a huge fan of The Lonely Island. I didn't actually see Hot Rod until last year, but as soon as I did, I found it hilarious. That extended falling down the side of the mountain scene... I've seen it so many times, it never fails to make me laugh. I love everything about Hot Rod. It's innocence and charm and it's a simple story about literally just trying to succeed to impress your stepdad sufficiently so that you can prove you're a grown-up and then beat his ass. It's dorky and this podcast will always champion dorky. Popstar is the more sophisticated older brother of Hot Rod and while Hot Rod relies on the slapstick, Popstar is just sharp pop culture parody. So much of what it targets are low-lying fruit, but it's so adept at taking aim. It's one of the greatest mockumentaries ever put to screen, and the fact they managed to make it and make it this fantastic just shows what great filmmakers The Lonely Island are, and it's their emotional connection that grounds the story. Is it a humble brag that your movie has Mariah Carey and Ringo Starr in it? Sure, but in context, it had to have these huge stars to really show the impact of Connor For Real and The Style Boys. The songs are fantastic, it's tight and sharp, but it's also done with so much love and respect. I might like it more than Spinal Tap, actually. Both Hot Rod and Popstar's dismal but ultimately unsurprising commercial underperformance is a travesty. Comedy is subjective, of course, as is all art. And while many a slapstick comedy or mockumentary doesn't exactly blow up the box office, their cults only grow through time. Unlike some of the more successful films that have since been forgotten. It's not an awful group to be in to be a cult favourite movie. And Hot Rod and Popstar are both blessed and cursed to live and die and then live on again forever as cult movies. And the obligatory Keanu reference, I've not forgotten it. Because while everyone thinks the character of Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4 was based on Evil Knievel, I think we all know he's really based on Rod Kimball. Oh, and just FYI, Keanu is so humble. Thank you for listening. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Hot Rod and Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. The next episode of this podcast is on Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the first appearance of Marilyn Monroe on Verbal Diorama, and together with the similarly iconic Jane Russell, she made a movie that would live on in pop culture for 70 years. Remarkably, 
This movie turns 70 years old this year and I cannot wait to go into the history and legacy of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider helping this podcast grow and be noticed by others by leaving a rating or review wherever you found it, retweeting or liking posts on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd amongst many others. Simply tell your friends and family about this podcast, especially if they're a fan of The Lonely Island, of Hot Rod or a pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. And if you do want to get in touch with me and you want to say hi, you can get me on email at verbaldiorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com. Huge thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. You can join them if you wish at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. But to be honest, the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you are supporting this podcast. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. And because this is a slightly shorter episode, I'm just going to sign off. But before I do, I'm just going to say, and finally, she demanded that I feel like we been lighting. They could see us through my GoPro. She tried to negotiate. I say that's a no-no. Now I'm creeping in her bedroom like go, go. she tells me to go low. Then looks down and says, I gotta terrorize them. <laughs> gotta terrorize them. Bye. Blue vision of-